Welcome to Set Squared Downloaded, the podcast brought to you by Set Squared, the global number one university business incubator. In the latest edition of Set Squared Downloaded, Karen Brooks, Program Director at Set Squared, interviewed IGLI's co-founder and director Peter Lilly at the UK Space Conference. IGLI's makes locations searchable by travel time and enables thousands of locations on any website or database to be searched by the user's choice of travel time and transport mode. Karen spoke to Peter about the company's use of -of state-of-the-art space technology, its journey from an idea to business, and how it is continuing to expand. Hi, I'm here with Peter Lilly, the co-founder and director of Igealize. Hi, Peter. So tell me a little bit about what Igealize does. Ah, interesting question. Igealize makes maps and data searchable by time rather than by distance. And the really easy way to understand that is if you go to any website that's got locations on it, things like a property website, traditionally you'll go there and you'll search within five miles or 10 miles or 15 miles. And what we do is we have a platform that that website, Rightmove or Zoopla or someone like that, can link to. And then you can search by the travel time and transport mode of your choice. So show me your properties within 45 minutes commute at 7.30 in the morning using public transport. So we, we just turn distance into time. But we, we sit in the background. We're, we're just a technology play. Nothing upfront or consumer facing. We just work with businesses and we sit quietly in the background crunching masses of data really quickly. So what's space got to do with Igealive? Very good question. Every every search starts from a location. So I am here, show me things that are within five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes. And more and more these days, that search starts on a mobile device. In fact, over half of all searches for locations are from mobile devices. And when you search on a mobile, you're gonna to go to that place instantly. So show me the nearest hotel or restaurant or shop. And the mobile, its location is determined as downstream satellite data, typically GPS. So we ourselves don't use it, but the device on which our applications run does use it. So the location or the the space data that we use is typically GPS and it's on the mobile because that's where so many searches these days happen. So could you have started Igealize without that data? Yes, and it wouldn't be nearly as good. So yes, we could. We could run purely on a desktop and that would be fine. But as I say, over half of all searches for locations these days are on mobile devices. So knowing where the mobile device is simply means that as a user, you don't have to put in, I am at the corner of Oxford Street and Regent Street. It knows where you are, and that's using satellite-derived data. But we just sit in the background. It's our customers who build the applications that run on the mobile device. So Rightmove, for example, is an example. And Rightmove build the application that sits on your mobile phone to enable you to go and search for a house. Jobsite is a customer. They build the application that you use. So they're building applications that use the satellite data, typically GPS, that makes our data more valuable. Excellent. So, Peter, you've been on a journey with um, Igealize. 
and uh, I think you started in about 2009. Tell us a little bit about that journey, and, and <laughs> have you got any hints and tips for people who are starting out themselves? Yeah, I, I read the book, You Have to Start in a Loft or a Garage. So we started in my loft, above my garage, in 2009. And it was me and my business partner, Charlie. And it took us a while to work out how to build the technology to do the thing that I've described, to search maps and data by time. We got our first customer in 2013. When we started, we thought we were going to be building a consumer-facing application. And we would get all of the locations that people might want to search for, so all of the shops and dates and jobs and houses and restaurants and hotels. We'd get all of that together, and then we'd go and attract a really big audience, and then we'd match them together better using our time technology. And we joined SetSquared in 2010, and SetSquared helped us understand that really we'd have a much better business if all we did was concentrate on the thing that was unique, which is this technology, and provide it to people who already have all of the locations and already have a big audience and better match their audience and their data. So that's what we do. We just sit quietly in the background of an awful lot of websites, crunching data by time, returning results instantly, and the consumer will probably never know who we are, which is absolutely fine. Clients know who we are, and we we generate a lot of value for them by better matching audience and locations. You're kind of intel for the journey, people. <laughs> yeah, in a way. I, I'd like one day to be as big as that. But yeah, in, in a way, in the sense that we're an enabler. We sit in the background and we're an enabler. How our clients use the data that we generate for them is entirely up to them. Some people put us on maps so that their consumers can visually see which property or job or restaurant or whatever they can get to. Some people just show us as a list. Some people just save the data and send emails to people when a new house or job comes on the market that fits their requirements. So we, we don't really mind. We're sitting in the background crunching data and as long as the locations are legal, decent, honest and truthful, that's really all we care about. But we do it in 16 countries now. We process about a billion locations every month. Average response time, about half a second. Um, so we crunch a lot of data very quickly and anonymously. So what's next? Because, you know, uh, journey times is one thing. Is there other areas that you're looking at? We expand in two or three ways. Uh, one way is countries. We go back 18 months and we were really UK. Now we're in 16 countries and we add another country every month or so, thereabouts. So as we add a new country, that means in every country we have every public transport timetable, road speeds, a whole bunch of stuff. So uh, the volume of plates that we have to keep spinning increases. So the first thing is we're going to go into more countries. We currently mainly Europe and North America. Uh, we want to have the whole of Europe rather than most of Europe and we're adding some in Asia too. Second thing is we always work at making this thing run faster. Faster it runs, happier our customers are, bigger the barrier is for any new competitor coming in, and the lower our costs are, so it's great. We work really hard at making this thing run fast. And the next thing is finding new ways to use time. We're currently doing salesman's routing, 
So it's like vehicle routing, the Amazon delivery that you get at home. The driver's been given 10 places to call on, some software's optimised it for them. We're doing the same thing using public transport. So helping people get around cities to multiple places using public transport, not driving and polluting and parking and all of those problems. So we're looking for new ways that time can be used. So Peter, exporting, how easy has that been and what, what lessons have you learned from, I think you're in 16 countries now, how, how have you done that? <laughs> uh, yeah, we're in 16 countries at the moment and we add more as rapidly as we can. We have two considerations really about other countries. The first is that some of our costs are in euros and dollars, so changes in currency actually do affect us. And sometimes it's good, currently it's not been quite so good, but that's a factor. But in terms of actually selling in other countries, we don't have to, sadly, we don't have to go to a country in order to launch there. So when we launch in Bali, I sadly don't get to go, or Bondi Beach, um, it, it doesn't happen that way. We can do pretty much everything from a desk, and the desk can be anywhere, it just doesn't matter. Because we create a map for a country, that's available, open source. We get in APIs that have all of the public transport timetables and road speeds and data. We pass it through our servers. We don't need to go to a country. So to go live in a country, uh, I don't need to travel. To gain clients is a different story entirely. But to actually launch a product there, that's that can be done from anywhere. Uh, getting a client, the way that we do that, the way that we have done anyway, we find a client in the UK who values our proposition. We try and make sure that the clients we target in the UK are part of multinational. So Axel Springer would be a really good example. We started working with Jobsite in the UK. Jobsite have now championed us through the Axel Springer network to Berlin, and they actually helped fight our, our pitch for us. And now we work with Axel Springer across seven countries. But we did it from the UK, getting a UK subsidiary of theirs who valued what we did and could help us find the right people in Axel Springer in Berlin and make the pitch. Um, and actually when we did that pitch, they, we, we had to pitch against Google to get that. And because we had a UK customer using us and valuing us and knowing our technology worked and things like that, it made our life an awful lot easier. So that's interesting. You talked about partnering there with a UK company that's part of a larger organisation. It's often very hard for startups to get that first customer. What's mm. been your method to uh, winning sales and get, getting people actually using your product in the very early days? <laughs> Our very first customer was uh, Countrywide Estate Agents, which is the UK's largest chain of estate agents, 54 groups, Hamptons, Gascon Peace, Malinco, and an awful lot. I'd been trying and failing to get in to see them. Uh, we won an award, which got written up in The Guardian, and within an hour of that being published, Countrywide called us and said, why haven't you been to talk to us? And we said, well, what a fantastic idea, thank you very much. So we were fortunate to get our first customer. That first customer, though, was a very specific type. They were someone who were looking for a step change in their business. They would take a risk and working with any young company, and at that point we, we hardly had a product. Working with a young company is a risk for a company, so you need to find a client who is looking for a step change and an individual in that client who has sufficient clout to make things happen. 
They don't have to be the boss, but they have to be head of innovation, or in our case, it was an e-commerce director who was looking for a change, uh, who had a budget uh, and who had an ability to make things happen. And we worked with them for about a year or so, tailoring our products to meet their specific technologies. The moment that happened and we went live with them, we got our second customer, that was Zoopla. They, they saw what Countrywide had, they'd been talking to us for a while, they needed just a little bit of confidence that actually the technology would work and they came on straight afterwards. And we deliberately were going for a market where if we could get a number of customers there, in our case it was property, then the next market would come very naturally and that was going to be recruitment because they're opposite ends of the same commute. So we deliberately pick markets where if you can get traction in one, it will impact the next market that you want. And the one after that uh, is hotels, actually. And we deliberately pick markets. So it's like 10-pin bowling. If you can knock the first pin over, it will impact the ones that you next want to get. And although we were lucky to get the first client, we had some luck along the plan that we had actually put together. It was always going to be property, followed by jobs, followed by typically hotels. So to use that bowling analogy, I should say, why not go for a strike and knock down all sectors in one go? <laughs> ah, well then you get into how much resource we have. Now, if we had been able to raise, I don't know, five million pounds, some big number, then maybe we could do that. But we deliberately, actually, chose not to raise a whole heap of money to maintain virtually all ownership and control and all of that and do it a slightly harder way so we don't have the ability to do every market and there is an argument to say we should have raised the money and then we would have a much bigger business although we'd own a much smaller proportion of it we thought it would probably be better to go and get a customer as quickly as we could and show that the technology that we actually have works so we deliberately decided to do a market at a time and there is a really good book called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore. Uh, it's a very old book. And he, he explains how you move from the very first customer, countrywide in our case, to the mass market customers, the right moves and Foxtons and Zooplas that we now have. And you have to focus on a particular market, put all of your resources into that market, laser focus, and that's what we do. And you mentioned investment there and that you uh, didn't mm. raise investment. If you look back, would you say that was the right thing or the wrong thing to do? Um, it's nearly, nearly true. We actually raised 185, uh, 185k from five angels who are angels in, in so many ways, not just financially, who put money in on the strength of my business partner Charlie's understanding of technology. And they just thought that there was a decent chance that Charlie and I might be able to do something sensible. They're essentially dormant, uh, although they're welcome to come and see this whenever they want. I think sometimes you can have too much money. And I think sometimes businesses can have too much money and therefore not concentrate on building the products and getting customers. Because there's really three types of money. There's investment money. You give up a bit of equity, you might get uh, some good advice. There's grant money which is, in our case, has been fantastic and Innovate have been exceptionally good to us. 
And that's okay, as long as you're always building things that were on your path, you're not just becoming a grunt junkie. But the best money of all is client money. That's people who value your product, whatever it may be, sufficiently to put their hand in their pocket time and time and time again. So repeatable revenue for us is, it was always our goal to get there as quickly as we could. Okay, I think that's great. Thank you very much, Peter. Some really great insights in there. And it's great speaking to you today. Thank you. Always a pleasure talking to Set Squared. Thank you for listening to this edition of Set Squared Downloaded. To find out more about Set Squared and the programmes it offers, visit www.setsquared.co.uk. To stay up to date with the programmes we offer, follow us on Twitter at Set Squared. And don't forget to subscribe to Set Square Downloaded on iTunes to make sure you never miss an episode.